0: Tonight, on NewsBank, Nelson's column in Caribbean carnage. Tennessee whiskey sours for Confederate forces. And Eichmann sentenced to death for bad puns. Plus, coming up, William the Conqueror to ride again. 500p coin to decide. Those are the headlines, and I am history.
1: Newsbang. Catching the buzz of truth and sending it viral. It it! 1778 In 1778, the Royal Navy
0: and the French Navy had a right old ding-dong in the Caribbean. The Brits, led by Admiral Horatio Nelson's great-great-uncle, Captain Sailor Nelson, were trying to stop the French from resupplying their garrison on St. Lucia. The battle raged for hours, with broadsides being fired and rigging being cut left, right and centre. Eyewitnesses described it as a proper nautical punch-up.
2: The French, under Admiral Jean-François Surrender Monkey, put up a spirited defence, but eventually ran out of rum and were forced to retreat. The British victory ensured that the Americans would go on to win their independence with help from France and Spain. Saint Lucia itself is an island in the West Indies which is not to be confused with the West Indies cricket team or Bob Marley's record collection.
1: 1864. In 1864,
0: the Union Army scored a massive victory at the Battle of Nashville, leaving the Confederate Army of Tennessee feeling like they'd been hit by a country and western star. The war, fought over whether slavery should be allowed to expand or not, was a bit like Brexit but with more bayonets. The Union, led by honest Abe Lincoln, wanted to keep the United States together, while the Confederacy just wanted to secede and start their own nation called the South. The Confederacy was made up of 11 southern states, and their main army in the West was called the Dixie Chicks.
2: After this defeat, it was all over Bar the Fiddlin', and both sides knew it was time to lay down their muskets and pick up their banjos.
0: 1961 in a sensational twist, former Nazi leader Adolf Eichmann has been found guilty of crimes against humanity and war crimes, including his role in the Holocaust. Eichmann, who had been hiding in Argentina under the name Rolf Boomsen Hitler, was tracked down by Israel's Mossad intelligence agency and brought to justice. The trial in Jerusalem was a media circus, with Eichmann claiming he was just following orders from his boss, Adolf Thickneck. Witnesses described how Eichmann organised the mass murder of millions of Jews, gypsies and anyone else who didn't fit into his twisted vision of a master race.
2: The court heard harrowing testimonies from survivors like Shlomo Goldstein who said, I remember him vividly. He had a cold stare and a terrible comb-over. Eichmann was sentenced to death by hanging, but not before he reportedly asked for one last request. Can I have some more rope?
1: Newsbang, the unvarnished truth, no matter how bitter. Shakanaka Giles is here now with
0: the weather.
3: Right, it's the 15th of December, 2023. Today's weather seems to be a little out of this world, Over at Frosty Peaks, it's going to be a snowy, white-out day, like a seasonal snow globe come to life. The avalanches will be big and the snowball fights even bigger. Now, let's shift our attention to sun-baked sands, where it's going to be sunny and warm, around 20 degrees. It's the kind of warmth that will have you reaching for your sunnies, slathering on the sun cream and perhaps even a quick dip in the pool. In the meantime, at Tropical Bay, the rain will be falling softly, making the plants sway like they're doing the limbo. But don't forget your umbrella, lest you end up as wet as a soggy scone. In conclusion, snowy wonderlands, sun-soaked beaches and tropical rainstorms. Stay warm, stay cool and keep dry. And that's all the weather.
1: The South Sudanese Civil War began in
0: 2013 as a conflict between the ruling government and opposition forces related to political disagreements. Led by President Salva Kiir, the government accused his former deputy of attempting a coup. The situation escalated with fighting breaking out between the Sudan People's Liberation Movement factions known as SPLM and SPLM-IO. Uganda provided support to the government during the war. The main city caught in this turmoil was Juba, which served as both the nation's capital and its largest city. Now for more details on this bloody conflict, we will be joined by reporter Brian Bastable in a moment.
4: Shoot the moon in the back and it turns around to bite you. These were the words of the man who pulled me out of my foxhole and shot me in the leg for getting in his way. But there's more to this story than meets the eye. In fact, there's a lot more to this story than doesn't meet the eye. It is the story of the Battle of the Century. The battle of a century that never was. A battle of an island of the mind in a sea of fire and fury. It is the battle that every child dreams of. The one that goes on for as long as there are two opposing armies who both hate each other's guts there right in the middle of it all stands this great big cow she's got the hearts for some young soldier boy with a rifle and an attitude but he's got eyes for the fancier cattle next door I ask you folks is this how a country should be spending its time? and so we were there right in the heart of it all I was there with my trusty notepad and my pen ready to take down every word that was said But then the missile started to fall and I realized that I had left my pen behind in the barracks. Oh, the irony. But it doesn't matter, because here we are, in the moment that it all went pear-shaped. Here's the moment when the battle turned into a circus, and the circus turned into a battle. But it's not all doom and gloom. There are happy stories, too, about little children playing in the street while the bullets whistle over their heads, and then there's the story of the old woman who came out of her house with a basket of bread and a smile on her face. She was giving out free bread to all the soldiers, whether they were on our side or theirs. But enough of this mushy stuff, there's a war to be won here folks and as the night draws in and the missiles rain down, we know that this is just the beginning. So grab your rifles and your knives and let's get out there and show them what we're made of. It's time to put our foot down and show them that we mean business. This is a battle you won't want to miss. It's the battle we've all been waiting for and we're all in this together. Brian Bastable Newsbang, Uh. 1981. In
1: 1981,
0: the Iraqi embassy in Beirut was bombed by the Shia Islamist group, Al-Dawa. The bombing resulted in numerous casualties and injuries. At that time, Al-Dawa was led by Haider al-Abadi, who later served as the Prime Minister of Iraq. This group had links to Iran and was actively involved in supporting the Iranian Revolution. However, they now face internal divisions that threaten their political relevance. For more on this story, we've reached out to our reporter, Ken Shit.
5: Good evening, degenerates. As we delve into the dark and twisted annals of history, let's take a moment to remember the year 1981, a time when hair was big Synths were loud and innocent lives were torn apart by a pack of religious fanatics. On this very day in 1981, the Iraqi Shia Islamist group al Dawa decided to wage war on humanity by conducting a vile and cowardly suicide bombing on the Iraqi embassy in Beirut. 61 innocent souls lost their lives that day, while over 100 more were left scarred for life. Now, let me tell you about these bastards. al dawah is led by none other than Haider al-Abadi, a former prime minister of Iraq who couldn't even manage to keep his own country together. These twisted freaks supported the Iranian revolution and received financial backing from Tehran. Talk about your dirty money! But here's the kicker. al Dawa is currently facing internal divisions and is at risk of losing its political relevance just goes to show that even terrorists can't escape the cold grasp of infighting and greed. So tonight, as we raise a glass to those who lost their lives in that heinous attack, let us also remember that no matter how hard these sickos try to spread their message of hate and destruction, they will never succeed. Because we are stronger than them, we are better than them, and we will always stand up against their twisted ideology. This is Ken Shit reminding you that no matter how dark things get, there will always be light shining through.
1: A T Sky
0: Teen Tandotum. Today marks the 130th anniversary of the tragic death of Sitting Bull, a key Lakota leader on Standing Rock Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Sitting Bull had significantly resisted US government policies and was feared to possibly join the ghost dance movement. The Hunkpapa are a Native American group within the larger Lakota community, part of the tribes who call Standing Rock Reservation home. The US government's relationship with these tribes has been marked by conflict and injustice. And we'll hear more about this from CNB's Melody Wintergreen in her report.
6: Today, as the sun sets upon a seemingly inconsequential strip of land, a dark cloud of history looms over this place. It's home to the Standing Rock Indian Reservation, a land of contrasts where the past and present collide. Here, within the borders of South Dakota, an event of monumental importance occurred on this very day. In the year 1890, the revered leader of the Hungpapa Lakota people, Sitting Bull, was slain by US Indian agency police. This great warrior, who had once been a fearless and steadfast opponent of America's expansionist policies, now lay lifeless upon the very ground that he had fought so hard to protect. His tribe, the Lakota, had been among the most resistant to the incursion of white settlers into their lands, with Sitting Bull leading the charge against the U.S. government's relentless pursuit of manifest destiny. But alas, as is so often the case in history, the mighty have fallen. The forces of progress, embodied by the U.S. government, had finally succeeded in silencing one of their most powerful opponents. However, as the years have passed, the legacy of Sitting Bull has only grown stronger, serving as a beacon of resistance and rebellion for generations to come. Today, this hallowed ground is a testament to the enduring spirit of the Lakota people, who continue to fight against the same systemic oppression that claimed their beloved leader all those years ago. As we stand here, amidst the rolling hills and verdant plains that have witnessed the birth and death of so many great tribes, we cannot help but feel a sense of awe and wonder at the incredible resilience of the human spirit. This is Melody Wintergreen, reporting from the Standing Rock Indian Reservation, South Dakota, bringing you the news as it happened 124 years ago.
1: News Bang! Lifting the veil of deceit with scalpel-like accuracy. Polly Beep now takes us on a journey through time,
0: focusing on the 1906 London Transport Revolution. She'll explore the Great Northern, Piccadilly and Brompton Railway which connected Hammersmith to Finsbury Park. With roads filled with horse carriages and construction underway, commuters should be prepared for delays and diversions. So buckle up and join Polly as she navigates the winding roads of history.
7: This is Polly Beep, and today we're taking a trip through the annals of time. It's 1906, and we're in the heart of London, where a groundbreaking transport revolution is underway. On the B4, two, eight and 9, the Great Northern, Piccadilly and Brompton Railway is a deep-level underground tube railway set to connect the bustling city of Hammersmith in West London to the leafy greenery of Finsbury Park in Haringey. This marvel was born from the merger of two older companies which, when combined, formed the backbone of this ambitious project. Hammersmith, a district in London, is known for its vibrant nightlife, while Finsbury Park is a beloved public park in the heart of Haringey. But beware, dear commuters. The roads are a tangle of horse and carriages, and with the Great Northern, Piccadilly and Brompton Railway under construction, expect some delays and diversions. Let's hope our brave passengers are prepared for the ride. And finally, for our time-travelling listeners, here's a word of advice. Always carry a map of the city. Whether you're headed to the Hammersmith or Finsbury Park, knowing the route is half the battle. So buckle up, dear listeners, and let's navigate through the winding roads of history. It's Polly Beep signing off until next time. Keep those wheels turning, and remember, the roads might be chaotic, but we'll always be here to keep you company.
1: 2005
0: Calamity Prenderville is here to bring us the news on the F-22 Raptor a stealth fighter aircraft developed by Lockheed Martin and Boeing with a little help from British Innovation Get ready to hear about the aircraft's impressive features and its impact on the world of aviation
8: Strap yourselves in and adjust your aviator glasses because we're jetting back to 2005 a time when the mobile phone was as chunky as a good old British meat pie and the internet was still mostly a cacophony of dial-up tones that could out-squawk an aviari. But amidst this digital din, there was a whisper so quiet you could hear a microchip drop. The whisper of stealth technology. In 2005, the Americans unveiled what they claimed to be the pinnacle of aerial sneakiness, the F-22 Raptor, a stealth fighter aircraft. This bird of prey was developed by Lockheed Martin and Boeing, with a little help from British innovation, of course. The F-22's airframe is built like a tank, thanks to our sturdy British steel. The weapon systems are top-notch, incorporating air superiority, ground attack, electronic warfare and signals intelligence. It's like having a Swiss army knife in the sky. But the real star of the show is the stealth technology, The F-22 can sneak up on enemies without being detected, making it a formidable force in the battlefield. This is all thanks to our British innovation in camouflage. Remember when we painted those black and white stripes on the planes during World War II? Well, that was just the beginning. Of course, the F-22 isn't the only stealth aircraft out there. The F-117 Nighthawk B-2 Spirit, B-21 Raider, F-35 Lightning II, Chengdu J-20, and Sukhoi su 57 are all vying for attention. But let's face it, the F-22 is the cream of the crop. So there you have it, the F-22 Raptor, a testament to British innovation and American ingenuity. It's a bird of prey that's sure to make enemies tremble in their boots. And who knows, maybe one day, we'll see the British version of the F-22, the Spitfire Mark II, flying high in the skies. Until then, keep your eyes on the horizon and your ears open for the sound of freedom. This is Calamity Prenderville from Newsbang, signing off.
1: Newsbang. The stuff that dreams are made of, only more so in reality.
0: Sandy O'Shaughnessy is your guide through the historical corridors of time, taking you on a journey to 1025 AD. Today... We explore the reign of Constantine Eighth and the Byzantine Empire. Along the way, we'll discuss their military prowess and cultural significance. Tune in for more history lessons with Sandio Shaughnessy as he uncovers the past's hidden gems.
9: Hello there, and hello again, dear listeners. It's me, Sandio Shaughnessy, your trusty guide through the cosy corridors of history. The evening is drawing in over these beloved Emerald Isles, and what a lovely day it has been. Ah. (laughs) But before I start reminiscing about those sunny days spent frolicking with Miss O'Reilly from next door, a tale for another time, let's dive into the annals of time and visit an era that goes all the way back to 1025 A.D. Yes indeed. Your old mate, Sandy, is taking you on another rollicking adventure through medieval times. So sit back, grab a pot of tea or a nice glass of ale, depending on your inclination, and let's explore history like it's never been explored before.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
9: and wouldn't you just know it? On this very date in our distant past, Constantine VIII became the sole Byzantine emperor after an impressive 63-year reign. Now that's what I call sticking around – he was quite the roman emperor lasting longer than old augustus himself and we all know how fond old augustus was of himself and his empire his successor must have really impressed him to be remembered so fondly ah. <laughs> so constantine the eighth found himself ruling over the byzantine empire in all its glory a world power if ever there was one it was centered in constantinople now more famously known as istanbul which at that time was quite possibly the most beautiful city on earth. It had everything, economy, culture. Oh, I almost forgot military force too. They were truly the envy of the Mediterranean world back then. Ah. <laughs> you know what they say about empires though, they come and they go. But some things never change like having a long reigning monarch or being based in a beautiful city or perhaps even having certain eccentricities I wonder if Constantine VIII had any personal quirks or habits that made him stand out among his subjects. Oh well, those are questions for another day. (laughs) Speaking of eccentricities, did you hear about Jim from Cork who found a loose mouth up on his local hill last week? You just never know what you might stumble across while exploring history or hiking for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) But until we meet again amidst tales of ancient law, and modern absurdity. Remember to keep sending those wonderful letters my way. Life can be so busy these days with our daily grind. Taking a moment to look back at where we came from can bring us such joy and perspective. So keep your eyes peeled for wondrous discoveries, both big and small. History is hiding around every corner after all. Until next time, my friends, see you later, alligator, in a while, crocodile. Keep calm and carry on exploring.
6: All
1: over the for everyone. Alessis, 1939.
0: The year is 1939, a time of global unrest and historical transformation. Amid the upheaval, a tale of resilience and passion took shape in the form of Margaret Mitchell's novel, Gone with the Wind, which later captivated audiences on the silver screen. This epic tale unfolded against the backdrop of the American Civil War and Reconstruction era, centred around a determined woman named Scarlett O'Hara. At its heart was Atlanta, Georgia's vibrant capital city, known for its lush green spaces and rich history. Joining us now with more on this fascinating time is our resident historian, Smithsonian Moss.
6: Now at this point of the evening we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us.
10: there culture vultures it's your gal smithsonia moss sliding into the mellow yellow time machine known as 1939 the vibes are all peggy mitchell's panty raid party as i'm back in business to dish the dilla dish on gone with the Freakin' wind premiered in atlanta georgie don't tell mel tillman but this time it's all about missy scarlet o'hara me tell ya fam Gone with the Wind was like the OG Real Housewives of the South. If Cece and Brandy were married into the antebellum South's equivalent of the Kardashians, imagine, if you will, Scarlett played by the Duchess of G Spot herself, Vivian Lee. Scarlett, y'all. That woman had more cattiness than a season of catfish. She played every single dramatic card you can think of and won a Golden Globe. While we in modern days are left saying, Damn, girl, with a hearty side-eye, while sipping on a juice cleanse and doing hot girl guines at our local CrossFit joint. I do hear your collective thoughts. Mossy, why so dramatic? Well, guess what? Our good old Scarlett was the epitome of dramatic flair and sass. Just like the glue holding your grandpa's toupee in place, it held its place and was always gonna be there. Just like Scarlett's vicious claws were always gonna be out for Melly's sweet grandpappy. And, just to put your minds at ease, this isn't your average Hallmark Channel movie. Oh no, far from it. This one had enough drama, scandal, and intrigue to feed the Hollywood Boulevard's 500-pound gorilla. And remember, my love for all things pop culture is as unshakable as my ability to put my foot into my mouth, leaving you wondering just what the F stands for. Just like Atlanta's vast tree coverage, Gone with the Wind stands as an icon of our culture landscape, albeit with less chlorophyll. But don't you dare think this was the pinnacle of southern hospitality and charm. It's all just an exaggeration, I promise. That's all she wrote, folks. Toodles for now, while you try to reboot and reprogram your cultural sensibilities. Smithsonian Moss. Out.
1: News Bang! The ultimate pufferfish of truth. 687. In 687,
0: the year we find ourselves in, the Catholic Church witnessed a series of significant events that would shape the future course of its history. Pope Sergius I was elected under contentious circumstances, leading to an era characterized by his refusal to accept certain canons. These events were further complicated by Emperor Justinian II's intervention and the ongoing Byzantine influence over the papacy. The Roman people and Italian militia played crucial roles in protecting Pope Sergius I during this time. To delve deeper into these historical occurrences, we are now joined by our religious correspondent, Pastor Kevin Monstrance.
11: Good evening, ladies and gents. Tonight I find myself pondering the fickle winds of history and the vagaries of fame. For who among us today recalls Pope Sergius I, who found himself embroiled in such controversy all those centuries ago? Yet in his time, Sergius was a man destined for greatness. Or so he thought. Born Pippin Pecorini, Sergius hailed from a noble Roman family, Young Pippin was enraptured by visions of restoring Rome to its former glory, and what better path to power than the papacy? Through crafty politicking, he managed to get himself elected Pope, becoming Sergius the Vernes. <laughs> but Sergius quickly learned that the path of the papacy is not smoothly paved. That rascal Emperor Justinian II of Byzantium took issue with Sergius refusing to ratify his council of Quinisext, a silly name Quinisext. Sounds like a magical stone the Druids might worship. Justinian sent soldiers to arrest the Pope, but Sergius found an ally in the Roman people who surrounded the Lateran Palace in his (laughs) defence. Imagine the standoff, angry Byzantines demanding the Pope while furious Romans yelled, Avanti, Sergius! and shook their fists. Meanwhile, inside the palace walls, Sergius nervously clutched his papal robes "'wondering if he'd get thrown in the clink before supper. "'The whole kerfuffle ended when Justinian's men decided "'Roman Rigatoni sounded better than a riot, "'so off they went in search of pasta. (laughs) "'Sergius avoided arrest that day, but it was a narrow squeak. "'He came to realise that while the papacy conferred great status, "'it also came with great strife, "'which reminds me of a joke about another man who desired power and fame.' There was once a humble village priest, named Padre Paolo, who dreamed of becoming Pope. He decided to begin his path to the papacy by impressing a visiting cardinal. When the cardinal arrived, Padre Paolo greeted him in full ceremonial robes, swung an incense censer mightily, and belted out his best Gregorian chant. (laughs) The cardinal said, My son, I am but a humble servant, as are you. These displays are unnecessary but Padre Paolo replied, Excellency, how else will I make my mark so that one day I may sit on the holy See?" The cardinal smiled and said, If it is God's will, you will find your path, but for now, focus on your flock. (laughs) Padre Paolo was crestfallen, for he desired greatness. Next Sunday, determined to dazzle the cardinal, he delivered a rousing three-hour Latin sermon while standing on one leg atop the pulpit. The exhausted cardinal afterwards said, My son, endurance and theatrics are admirable, but they do not make a pope. (laughs) Still, Padre Paolo would not relent in his ambitions. The next week he hired a troop of gypsy dancers to swing from the chandeliers during mass. The cardinal shook his head in dismay and left the village shortly thereafter. Padre Paolo took this as a sign he needed to aim even higher, so he began planning his next flamboyant stunt. But a wise old nun, named Sister Carlotta, came to him and asked, My son, have your ambitions left room in your heart for what truly matters, the care of your flock? (laughs) And so Padre Paolo realised that, to be great in spirit, he need not sit on any earthly throne at all. For true fulfillment comes not from status, but from service. <laughs> well, quite the circuitous tale, but I hope its moral rings true. Our paths through this life are winding and strange, but if we keep sight of what truly matters people over power we might just end up where we ought to be. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. May your ambitions be righteous and your flock be forgiving. Uh, so, so, oh, so Good night.
0: This is the Newsbang final roundup. The Times, Pakistan in tears as Bangladesh wins independence in 71 war. The Telegraph, Boston harbors tea party turns nasty, thanks to the taxman. The Guardian, World War II rages on with seahorse and galloping horse battles in 42. The Daily Mail, Sons of Liberty chuck a haha in Boston Harbour Tea Party. The Sun, East India Company's tea surplus leaves 93k Pakistani stewing. And finally, today go with, Japanese horses drowned at sea during Guadalcanal giddy-up gallop. That's it for tonight's bank.
1: Good night, sleep tight, and don't let the news bite. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.